and having to have a conversation where they say, well, that's dumb. And then you have to either convince them that it's not dumb or change what you want because it was dumb. We have ignition. Welcome to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, entrepreneurs, and everyone who wants to be more effective and more successful creating and selling products. I'm Nils Davis with my friend and co-host Rob McGordy. This episode I talk about how I learn product management and Rob discusses his new interest in machine learning. This is also we can talk about learning how we learn, so we can all learn to learn better and become learning machines. The ability to learn new things is probably the most important trait you can have in today's rapidly changing world. The skills of yesterday and today will count for less and less as time goes along, and you'll have to learn new skills, many that don't even exist yet, to survive and thrive. All the responsibility, none of the authority, is brought to you in part by Product School, where you can learn some of those skills we talked about to help you land a job in product management or to improve your performance in a related role. Product School offers flexible night and weekend courses taught by experienced and knowledgeable product managers, such as our own Rob McGroarty. Check them out at productschool.com. And now let's go on with the show. Let's talk about learning. Learning what? Learning anything, really. But I think in the context here, it's usually the art of product management or it's the context of what the company is doing, could be the industry, could be the problems with Uh, a particular customer's environment, who knows? You know, I guess everything from how did we learn about product management might be interesting to cover to how do we learn about what our customers' problems are to how do we learn technical skills or non-technical skills we might need as, as product managers to be better at it. This is something that I've heard a lot of people talking about lately, which was learning how to learn. And to add some context there, I end up hearing just because of my proclivities, a number of podcasts where thought leaders opine on the state of today's educational system. And one of those frequent opinions is that we're not teaching people how to learn. We're teaching them facts that they have to memorize and retain. And I couldn't agree more that the concept of learning how to learn is critical. I'll also say that it's an incredibly hard thing to either teach or learn. From my perspective, I felt feel like that's all I've ever been interested in doing is learning new stuff. I don't know if I was taught that. Yeah, I don't think I was either. I think that's that's part of the problem, though, as well, is right that that's just been left up to the interested party. But I will say there's a number of cases where even if you're not interested, you kind of have to anyway. It's a, it's a characteristic that's very valuable if you want to be a product manager. And Agreed. it might be not just valuable, but critical and necessary. Because as we have talked about in, in previous podcasts, when you come in, like, for example, if you come in as a product manager of an existing product, well, you have to learn a bunch of stuff about that product, about that market. Um, if you're trying to create a new product, you have to go learn what the heck does my market need? What are the problems it has? How do the other solutions in the market solve those problems? And how can I do that better? Right? So there's always learning no matter what you're doing. Exactly. When I started as a product manager, I'm a little bit older than you, Rob. There were no product management courses or classes or books even. There were some people that were product managers and it was it was generally the term was primarily used in the consumer packaged goods industry. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of people got MBAs from Harvard or from business schools of various places, and they would go work for Procter & Gamble, and they'd be a product manager. So that's where the term came from. And high tech adapted, adopted the term, but I came into the world when the definition of what product management was in high tech was sort of a seat of the pants thing. We sort of tried to figure out what we were doing as we went along. There weren't books or courses on it. To be a product manager, I had to learn it and invent it, a lot of it myself. And, and <laughs> that's one of the reasons we have, I have a podcast now, right, with, with you, Rob, is that I had to learn all this stuff on my own, and I thought it'd be nice to help other people learn it without having to go through all that that I did. Yeah, and thank goodness for the first wave of folks that recognize that, right? I mean, if we were still relying on the CPG playbook, We'd have once a year releases. They'd probably still be on CDs. Um, you know, we'd they'd probably get... still be on bo in boxes. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you'd be buying them in Costco. Oh well, you, I guess you still can, but not the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it's great that there has been a whole wave of experienced PMs that have kind of said, "All right, there needs to be more out there. Not everyone should have to go through the same rough road that that I did. Uh, not me in particular." the mm -hmm. theoretical eye. Right. Um, so what is that process, whether it's learning product or learning anything else? Um, what do you have a process? How do you typically end up coming from not knowing something to feeling like, you know, something? Well, you know, it's a, it's a process where you never quite recognize that, you know, something <laughs> it partly depends on whether there's like books about it or, you know, now of course, nowadays, of course, there's videos and t Ted talks and YouTube videos and many, many topics. But uh, back in, particularly when I was doing a lot of learning about high tech in general and product management in, in particular, uh, I would go find books and I would uh, either buy them or get them from the library and read them and try to then combine, not in a very formal way, because you know, I'm not like a good note taker in that way, but I would take ideas like, for, for example, from Crossing the Chasm, one of the great seminal books about high-tech products and of course it defined that concept called the chasm in the product lifecycle adoption curve it gave a really good format for value proposition that high-tech products need to s provide and so that was sort of one of the the main things for me was i found these books and i then started to try to take the advice of those books and actually do stuff with them so for me it was a, it was very practical it was like oh Here's a book. It has some ideas that are related to the thing that I do. Let me apply them. And so it was, it was very much of a practical, uh, a, a practical approach. Nice. Now, question there. Obviously, we're now in a much more digital media age where books are sort of the slow-moving pedestals or cornerstones of information. But yet, a lot of a lot of authors or people who are creating content will now lean towards something like a blog post as opposed to putting together a whole book. What are your thoughts on the quality of blog, blog posts? Um, are they as useful? Have you, have you seen a lot of um, really great stuff coming out of blogs? Well, as a person that writes blogs, I hope they're still useful. <laughs> That's my, my goal of my blog posts is to, or is for them to be very useful and to not be fluffy. I think there are plenty of blogs out there that are kind of fluffy that repeat obvious things um, ad infinitum. But blog posts are kind of a, are actually a good way to get this kind of 
information out. It turns out, um, and I don't know if you've experienced this when you've read business books, that many times the key idea of the business book is told in the first chapter and maybe the second chapter is a little bit of elaboration. And the third chapter is essentially the same idea again. And the fourth chapter, same idea again. And fifth chapter, same idea again, over and over again. Oftentimes, only the first 20 pages were needed of the book. <laughs> right. I've often wondered whether an editor basically goes back to an author and says, great, you've got some really fantastic content here. Let's hit repeat at least five times, throw in some stories that have no real relevance, and we might get to something that's large enough to be considered a book so we can actually go to a publisher. I, I, I have to believe that that is what's happening because <laughs> there's so many books that are exactly like that. It, yeah. But I wonder if that's something from a human psyche perspective, if we don't hear it repeated five times, we may not actually take it away. There is something to that. And I think th that's one aspect. I think there's also the concept of um, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so <laughs> you, if you have a new business idea, then, and of course, we also know that new business ideas are always just old business ideas. But if you have this new business idea, you want to you want to keep hammering, so to speak, on that idea and try to give examples and so on and so forth. So there might be a combination of those things, and there certainly are exceptions to those to that rule. So, for mm -hmm. example, uh, one that leaps to mind is the um, book Decisive by the Heath brothers, which is about decision making, and the whole the book is all about decision making. But each section is about a different approach to decision making. And they don't say, here's the way to make decisions and then repeat that over and over again. They say, here's a way to make decisions and here's some benefits of this way. And here's another way to make decisions and here's some benefits of this way. And et cetera, et cetera. And oh, by the way, at the end, they say, and here's how you should combine all these things. So hmm. that, that's a legitimate book, right? So to me, the legitimate book is when there's a, a big idea. It has a lot of different parts that sort of need to all be kept in mind at once or sort of be able to be referred back. And that's very difficult to do in a blog post or even right. in a series of blog posts. So books to me still have uh, still have a lot of uh, a, a place. I'd agree. And part of the, my perspective on that as well is there's a lot more stringent editing and content process in a book. Not that crappy things don't make it through, but in general... I think people put a lot more thought into a book as a whole, or there may just be more people involved who are all putting in some thought than every blog post out there. Now, there's some really right. high-quality blogs, but getting to them across the mass of other content that's not quite as high-quality, mm -hmm. that's a struggle sometimes. And that kind of falls into the way that I think about learning. But we've got, we've got one cornerstone here, which is look at good books. Right. And so let me make another point on that cornerstone. A lot of the books that survive, like I mentioned Crossing the Chasm, that book was written, had to have been around 30 years ago at this point. Um, there's another book, Marketing High-Tech Products, which was sort of a precursor to Crossing the Chasm. There's some other books that I think are really were really valuable to me. Trout and Rice wrote a couple books on marketing and positioning. The point of it is that the books that have survived are really typically worth reading. All, all of those books have stuck with me in terms of the content and I've a lot of other books that I read over that period. And I've got a list and I'll, we'll put those in the show notes also because those were the only way to get the information back in those days. Uh, I think they were held. I think there was a higher standard. I think those books are better in terms of content than most of the business books you see today. There's some exceptions. Like I said, the Heath brothers 
and probably Dan Pink's books, I think, are another example of current books that are super meaty, well-researched, and you don't want to stop turning the pages. But right. a lot of those old classics are classics for a reason. Exactly. And especially back then, I don't think there were quite as... It wasn't quite as great of a business model to write a business book. Right. Right. Whereas today, they fly off the shelves, a thousand people regurgitate the same thing. It's become something that a publisher is willing to dive in on. Whereas before, it might have been a little higher bar before you're really going to get that backing. Mm -hmm. Totally. So that's one aspect. Yep. Read books. What else we got? Well, I think another aspect, and this goes to theories about learning and becoming expert on things, and that's just the idea of deliberate practice. I would say that, that I did a lot of deliberate practice, although I did not do it deliberately. And what deliberate practice means is it is working working consistently at the edge of your ability, mm-hmm. um, t- uh, working on things that you can, that you can ach- achieve, but you need to work at it to achieve in a sense. There's, there's better definitions than that. Well, that's exactly where, um, chicks at me high says is like the edge of flow, right. right? Where you're challenged enough to put in effort, but you're not drowning because you can't achieve. Right. But you but you may also make a lot of mistakes. In that in that period, but but you're sure. you're engaged in it and and so on and so forth, and because you know I was doing product management, which meant I had products, and I didn't know that much about it. You know, like none of us really knew that much about it because we were kind of inventing it at the time. Most of what we did was deliberate practice. It was always a matter of trying something and seeing if it worked, or writing something and saying, "Does this good enough?" or putting you know talking to some developers and saying, "I think we should do this," and then having to have a conversation where they say, "Well, that's dumb." And then you have to either convince them that it's not dumb or change what you want because it was dumb. You know, so there was always this <laughs> practice of being at the edge of my competence is how I felt right. looking back. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's also, you do get better over time. And so many things that in the past for me were difficult are now not so difficult because I did all that deliberate practice. So not being an armchair philosopher. Well, you have to do it. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> you have to do it. You can't be an art. You can't just sit and read about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So read about it, then go put it in practice, and most likely, it's going to be still a dark and stormy pathway that you <laughs> don't really understand. Exactly, and 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 don't expect just because you read about it that you that you know it. That's for sure. Right. So, what are your goals when you're looking at something to learn? Are you trying to identify the path? key indicators, just get a general sense of the map that you're on? What's the goal? I tend to not be too clear clear on the goals. I, I do like to see if, well, obviously my first goal is to understand what somebody, what, what, you know, somebody's writing about and see if it makes sense to me. And then it, if it doesn't make sense, there's two possibilities, or maybe more. One of them is that I'm an idiot. One of them is that they're an idiot. And so I try to figure that out. Um, and when I say- And option C is- I don't know what option C is. Um, maybe we're both idiots, but in different directions, perhaps. Um, okay. and, and when I say they're an idiot, I mean I'm. I'm. I don't need. I necessarily think that that they're an idiot or that I'm an idiot, but that that we're misguided in our thinking in some way. Sure. And uh, so I try to figure that out. I try to integrate what I'm learning with what with all the other things that I've learned about. For example, somebody's wrote a blog post about coming up with a new product idea. I always try to go back and, and say, well, okay, what's the value proposition for this new product idea based on 
the definition of value proposition from crossing the chasm, which I think is a very powerful mental model. I'll talk more about that. And I'm actually working on some blogs about mental models for product managers. But the point is that I'm, I'm taking what I'm reading and I'm trying to integrate it with a whole sort of system of thinking and mental models that have come before and that have even either proven out or that are going to be disproven by this new thing. So for me, a lot of it is just about integrating. And then gotcha. often I'll try to say, well, how can I make use of this? Or does this apply to the things I'm doing? And not, not everything that I read does. So those are two of the, two of the big things that, that I do. I integrate and I f- try to figure out how it can apply. And then, you know, sometimes I apply it if I, if I've got the energy. Right. Interesting. And right now, what's the, what's the thing you're trying to learn at the moment? If there is one. It's interesting because I don't really think about it as I'm trying to learn a specific thing, but there are some things that I want to accomplish that are kind of new, like the whole, like really getting my blog to become a a good brand and something that people find valuable. Same for the podcast. So, you know, I try to see what people are doing in that area, figure out how I can integrate those things and then how I can change my, my own behavior to make those things happen. Um, so that's probably the thing at the moment that I'm most focused on. The other is specifically right now, I'm trying to build a habit of doing a better job of talking to customers in the mm-hmm. sense of, I love talking to customers, but my I don't have good skills in terms of finding customers to talk to and setting those up. Just It's just, just reality. And so I'm working on that. I, I recognize that as a weakness and it's something that I need to, to solve and get get much better at. And so, you know, an enterprise software company like mine, that, that's not just a matter of, well, here's a list of customers, start calling them. Every customer is involved in the sales engagement because they're, they're either, you know, our customers are SaaS customers. So that means that we have to renew every year. So I have to make sure that I don't step on anybody's toes. You know, I have to make sure that, I, that I'm talking to the right person in the customer and so yeah. on and so forth. So there's all these little little pieces that I have to pay attention to as I, as I work through this. And I'm, I'm getting better at it, which is great. Yep. We, uh, in our account management team, we talk about it as uh, potentially poking the bear and mm-hmm. you definitely won't, you don't want to do that. Exactly. Right. So our, so what are you learning right now, Rob? What are your, what is your latest things? Right now I've been very, very interested in machine learning and, uh, the applications and broadly what's being called AI. I'm still not super clear on what everyone calls AI and how that's different from different, uh, technical techniques, but I found it very interesting that it's coming up a lot. And in some cases, I feel like it's a cop-out to make something sound buzzworthy. And in other cases, I feel like it's actually understated and the power of of a given um, product or process is super cool. So I've been digging into that. And it's interesting because my process, (laughs) now that I'm getting all meta and looking at artificial intelligence, I tend to do something very similar to an, uh, an unsupervised learning process mm-hmm. and what i basically do is i i try to consume as much information as i possibly can as fast as i can because again with the proliferation of content from people who are both very very smart and not quite as well um, rounded in particular topics it takes in some cases 10 times the amount of content to get to the same nugget of truth right and so my process has always, well, recently that I've started paying attention to it, been to just get at as much content as I can. Ideally, 
high quality stuff. So starting with the highly referenced material, but then uh, spreading out to tangential topics. So what I end up doing is listening to audiobooks and podcasts on two or three times speed, reading through everything I can online. And if I can, I'll put it on pocket. So I again, I can listen to it because I tend to, I tend to be able to consume audio faster than I can written word. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, enough has been sort of added to the hopper where patterns tend to emerge, at least in my mind, right? where I've heard of a thing enough times or it's been connected in my mind solidly enough with another topic that I start to build out the, build out the model. The downside of that, which is something that I'm becoming more and more aware of, is if I'm just blazing through everything I can to try to figure out the lay of the land, it's very hard for me to go back and either reference, clarify, or dig into a particular point. So oftentimes I'll remember something that is really, really awesome, but then the way that I'm remembering it is in five different pieces from six different sources. So to try to find a thing that I remember as being really cool and I want to go look into or reference in the future, it's really, really hard to find that again. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm working right now on taking more diligent notes which is sort of slowing me down, but at the same time is hopefully going to be more useful in the long run. Yeah, hopefully anchoring some of that information a little bit better for you. Yep. They, they, people always claim that taking notes is very valuable for learning. I think that's a there's a double-edged sword there because, for example, if I can get through a 12 or 15-hour audiobook on three times speed because I went for a long bike ride, to me the value of getting through it, hearing the same you know, the same top five points repeated 15 times over the course of two hours is really anchoring for me as opposed to trying to take notes while I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. It gets a little distracting. Sure. But at the same time, knowing that a particular thought or topic came from a source is already 10 times better than where I'm at now. Right. So, yeah, so th- that's the way that I approach things. And I think it's it's effective for now. It's not super easy to show progress on either. Right, because there's a big long period of just listening to stuff. Right now, I think you also once you have sort of figured out the most important thing, what do you you know sort of you you've done this process of listening to a lot of stuff, and sort of started to recognize the key themes. Are is are you finished at that point, or do you what's the next thing you do? No, that's a good question. So that's actually the starting point. Once I feel like I've got either a framework or the lay of the land or or the key themes. Then I start trying to engage with people about it because that's really when I feel like I can have a conversation with somebody who's knowledgeable in a topic because at least I understand, oh, we're over here in this section of the information or we're over here in this topic. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to really banter back and forth quite as well as I'd like, but at least I can engage. And that puts me in touch ideally with some smart folks in the topic or it allows me to go and start practicing some things and digging in in more uh, hands-on manner. Mm-hmm. And and so what what do you expect to be the outcome of that in this particular area of AI? Are, are you talking to people? Are you going to build an AI system? So I'm not quite talking to people yet. I'm still digging through the information and understanding a little more about it. It's getting there. But from there, I'd like to take both paths. One, I think there's a lot of information that my company right now is not harnessing effectively enough because there's really complex patterns and we're not we're not at the point where we can put humans at least not in our organization we don't have the time to put like a full-time data analyst on 
these types of problems, but using something like a machine learning uh, supervised learning process, we could probably identify some characteristics we hadn't hadn't thought of about our ideal customer or maybe even our our non-ideal customer, like who's super likely to churn because they were never a good fit in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And right now we're, we're grasping at big pieces that are not very highly correlated. So I'm hoping to be able to apply some of the learning to that. But at the same time, I think there's a thousand new applications for a lot of these techniques. So I'd love to be engaged with some thought leaders, whether they're at the highest or or lowest levels, people who are actually using this kind of stuff day to day would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And really from there, it's just a better understanding. If, If there's new applications, then I pursue it. If I'm happy with the knowledge I have, I can move on. I think it's interesting to contrast our two processes. You have right. a sort of a more concrete one than I do. Maybe that's just because you're younger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I it, it it is sort of my process is less processy, and I think I'm going to try to take some some advice from your process to to put a little bit more some more concreteness around it. We talked a, l- a little bit in preparation for this, and and one of the things you're doing as part of your looking at AI is actually to you downloaded one of the, um, I guess it was TensorFlow, right? The um, yep. the learning, the machine learning system. And so there's some some technical stuff that you need to figure out, like how to get Python installed and how to run a Python script and things like that. And I was thinking at the same time that maybe it's time for me to get back into a little bit of programming and you know, learning a new language or trying to interact with uh, with an Arduino a little bit. And that would be something where I'd probably need to be a little bit more process-oriented in terms of what do I want to accomplish, how do I know when I'm making progress, and things like that. Yep. I think we can definitely take from both sides. I need a little more diligent, focused practice on particular things, and but at the same time, I feel pretty confident in the information-gathering side of things. Mm-hmm. So definitely a lot of weaknesses, but I think both of both of the approaches illustrate different takes, and I'm sure there are hundreds of others, but... In fact, actually, I I know someone around here in San Francisco that their first and and foremost is always find someone who is extremely knowledgeable in the topic and just pay them to teach as much as they can. Wow. Like that, that is their number one process for anything. If it's learning to like go kite surfing or learning a technical skill, it's just find someone who's willing to accept some compensation in order to teach as fast as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to do it if you can if you have some money or something that you can trade, uh, something of value. Yep. Yeah, I I I I never think about paying for learning. <laughs> yeah, same here. And so but it's it's good to remember that it's good to remember there's options that we don't necessarily think about. We all have our biases and our blindnesses, and so that would be a good one to learn. Actually, oh, Absolutely. I can pay to I can pay to learn. Right. There's a shortcut. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So what are our takeaways today from this conversation, Rob? What can we what advice can we give folks to that they can start doing today? So I think one we glossed over in the beginning, but is the underpinning of all this that continuing to learn is really critical to pretty much every job of today or the future. I mean, whether it's product or it's something that we don't even know is a career in the future, if we're not aware of it yet, if it's complex, it's not going to be something where you're able to Google an answer. It's going to be much more about learning your way through something 
complex or difficult or connecting multiple dots. So that's really where I think knowledge workers are going in the future. And so the general topic here, just understand that learning how to learn is going to be critical for the future. Yeah. And it's not just even, I mean, a couple th th thoughts that came up as you said that one is when you Google something, some of these future things, you're going to get the wrong answer anyway. So you have to yep. be prepared for that. And it's not just about the thing itself, but how you go about making that transition to the thing, how you start your own business for doing that thing, whatever it might be, right? Every aspect of those is going to require us to be continually, continually learning. Totally agree. What do you think is number two? So we talked about a lot of different ways of getting this, where this knowledge is, right? There's books, there's, uh, there's the blogs, there's the podcasts and the YouTube videos and all those sorts of things. So a couple of points about those things. There's a lot of great classic books about, in particular, about business and products in business models. And, I, and we've got a list of books uh, that we'll have in the, in the show notes. And I recommend, in particular, if you haven't read Crossing the Chasm, to go and read that. And if you have read it, to go and review it. And I also, since I mentioned the book Decisive, I, that's another book that I would really recommend. If you're thinking about particularly skills related to product management, those are those are two books that have incredibly good content that will immediately be valuable to you as a product manager. And you should learn them if you don't know them. So that's like, that's not just like a process. That's a, those, you should go learn that. <laughs> so takeaway two, look for the the tried and true resources that have been around for a while, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they're definitely use, useful. And I think number three that we just barely touched on towards the end is try different sources of learning because everyone's a little different, right? Like I can personally digest more in a very quick audio format than most other ways. But at the same time, I don't do a lot of hands-on at this point, which is an area that I should probably be experimenting with a little more. Right. Find your own methodology or find what methodology works best for you. Yep. And if there's some that are, that have worked best but have been a struggle, think about working on those as well. That might be a thing to deliberately practice to get better at learning in other modalities. Absolutely. Great. Very interesting conversation, Rob. I've definitely learned a lot about and gotten some good ideas from you about how I can ramp up my learning process and put a little bit more structure around it. Very, very exciting. Same here. Definitely learned I need to be doing a little bit more deliberate practice and getting my hands dirty. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe we can maybe we can do a little coding together. That would be fun. That would be fun. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. Don't forget to check out the show notes to get some more good stuff and all the books and things we mentioned at alltheresponsibility.com. All the Responsibility, None of the Authority is brought to you in part by Product School, where you can learn the skills to help you land a job in product management or to improve your performance in a related role. Product School offers flexible night and weekend courses taught by experienced and knowledgeable product managers. Check them out at productschool.com. You can subscribe to our podcast feed at alltheresponsibility.com slash iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are sold. And if you like the podcast, please rate us on iTunes. That's a very big help. Thanks to our new producer, Laura Wittig, who's done a great job on this website and creating some new graphic design for us. She has just started a new product manager job and we can't wait to get her on the podcast. It'll happen soon. Thanks to, again to Neat Beats for our intro and outro music. 
You can find their music on Bandcamp at bandcamp.com slash neatbeats, and on Spotify, just search for Neatbeats. We love your comments and thoughts. Tweet to us at ATRNOTA or at Nilsie, N-I-L-S-I-E, or at Rob McGrordy, or drop us a line at feedback at alltheresponsibility.com. We have ignition. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's uh, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs>